Bibles tonight to the book of Judges, chapter number 16. Judges, chapter number 16. And uh, I'm going to try to be very short tonight and just give you a couple thoughts that I believe will be an encouragement to you. Uh, this sermon is a lot like this morning's sermon was. I want to take you into the Old Testament and I want to show you my Lord. And uh, we see Him all through the Word of God. Uh, but He turns up in some unusual places as well. On Friday, I uh, preached Senior Saints and I preached out of Judges chapter 14. And uh, I've preached on that same subject here in the main pulpit at Wall Ridge and, uh, about honey in the carcass or honey out of the carcass, if you prefer. Both would be apt. And uh, there's a great truth that's learned in Judges chapter 14 and the honey in the carcass about what our Lord did for us. You know, Samson is a very unlikely person to picture our Lord. But really, if you study the life of Samson, though it is a life marked with failure, it's also a life marked with faith in many ways. And you read in Hebrews chapter number 11, and you'll find Samson described in what we might call the hall of faith, described as a man of faith. And by the way, if you know anyone or have known of anyone that took their own life, and that was the way that they died. I know that years ago, and there was an ideal permeating around that if you uh, committed suicide, you forfeited your salvation. Now, let me tell you that that's a lie straight out of hell. You won't find an ounce of Bible on that. Uh, what you find in the Word of God is that once you're saved, you're always saved. You're sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And Samson took his own life at the end of it. God did permit him to do so, even gave him the strength to do so. But Samson died at his own hand. But he's mentioned there in Hebrews chapter number 11. But there's more ways in which you would imagine that Samson pictures our Lord. And I mentioned some of these on Friday. Uh, Samson had a miraculous birth. Now, I did not say he was born of a virgin. He was not. Only one man that has ever lived that was born of a virgin, and that was our Lord and Savior. Alexander the Great was not born of a virgin, though history tries to tell us that. And other men of renown were not born of a virgin, but our Lord was born of a virgin. Uh, Samson did have a miraculous birth, though. His mother was barren, could not conceive, but the Lord gave her strength to conceive. Uh, Samson's birth was announced by an angel. And there's only a handful of men in the Word of God that that's true about. Uh, Isaac's birth was announced by an angel. Uh, and there's a couple of others, and of course we know about John the Baptist, and we know about our Lord was announced by an angel. Uh, Samson's death was mentioned at his birth. That's unusual. Uh, whenever the angel came to speak to his parents, he said that he'll be a Nazarite unto the day of his death. So his death is referenced uh, along with his birth. Uh, Samson came with a singular purpose and mission. He came as that deliverer to deliver the Jewish people and to deliver them from their conquerors. You know, our Lord came with a single purpose. The Gospel writer says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, that purpose for Samson was announced at his birth as it was for our Lord. The angel told Mary, said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so there's more ways than you would imagine that Samson is a picture of our Lord. I know that our Lord never sinned. I understand that. And I know our Lord never failed. And I'm not trying to say that He did. Uh, but if you'll read your Word of God, the Bible that's set before you, if you'll read that 
and look for Jesus, you'll find Him over and over again. And you won't find Him manifest in the true light until you come to the New Testament because the Bible says that He was manifested in the New Testament. But you'll find Him in the shadows in unusual places. I'd like to just read the first three verses and give you a few thoughts tonight. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 16, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of an hill that is before Hebron. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we have the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God. I'm thankful that as we open it tonight, we can have confidence that we're not hearing men's words, but Your words, Lord. And I just pray that Your Holy Spirit would take His sword, the sword of the Spirit, and divide each and every one of our lives and hearts and cut to the very deepest areas, Lord, and perform that spiritual surgery that we need. Point out the areas of our life that need to be corrected and given over to You. Lord, if there's one here amongst us that's lost without Christ, pray that tonight You'd deal with them, show them their need of You. And Lord, I pray that You would give them an overwhelming conviction over their sin. Father, we're asking You to accomplish these things, and we know that we put them in faithful hands. We ask every bit of this for the glory and in the will of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. In these three verses, we have a very short picture of our Lord and Savior. The Bible tells the story very clearly that Samson, who was a Nazarite, went down into a place called Gaza and uh, met an harlot, went in unto her. And while he was in with the harlot, the Bible says that the Gazites, or the Gazites, however you'd like to pronounce it, that they compassed him about and they laid wait for him and they hatched a plan of how they were going to kill Samson. And they said, we're going to take these gates of the city and shut them and Samson will be trapped in here. They planned on taking him and making him trapped in the place of their dwelling and then pouncing upon him and killing him. I like what Samson did. Samson went and grabbed hold of these bars, these posts, these gates, hoisted them out of the ground, threw them on his shoulders and just walked out of the city. And that's the skeleton of this story. But I'd like to say that in this story we have three things that picture our Lord. I'd like you to look at verse number 1 and notice with me the condescension of our Savior. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Now we read that passage and we see a man that's making a mistake. And I understand that we see that. We see a man that is lowering himself to go in unto this harlot. Samson was a man separated unto God. He was a Nazarite. He had taken a vow unto God. It meant a cleanness about his life, or it should have. It meant a holiness about his life, or it should have. And Samson had no business going down into Gaza to see this harlot. He was going beneath his position. 
He was going beneath his heritage. He was going beneath his power. He was going into a place that he had no business going. Can I serve notice on you tonight? Do you know that there was a time when another man left his position? When another man left that which was becoming of his heritage and of his family? There was a time when another man left and lowered himself to go in unto a harlot. The Bible teaches us that Christ descended from the heavens, came down to this earth, lowered Himself so that He could save you and I. Uh, you know, they spoke uh, that day in Jerusalem about the greater men that had lived in their time. And they uh, spoke about Solomon. And they spoke about all of these great men. And Christ made this statement. He said, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon was the richest man, to our knowledge, that ever lived. Uh, Solomon reigned Israel at a time when Israel was at its epic, when Israel had a vast border, when Israel had a great treasury, and when Israel had a great military power. Solomon was a name in Israel that was spoken with great splendor and admiration. And you know what our Lord said? He looked at those men and said, You don't realize it, but you've got somebody greater than that walking amongst you. I don't think we really realize what it took for our Lord to be incarnate. If I hadn't preached on this, I was praying about preaching on John chapter number 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 that great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Do you realize that when Christ walked around this earth, Christ was literally God, the God of the universe, the Creator God, the one that had spoke this world into existence, the one that had fought for Israel, the one that had manifested Himself in the tabernacle, the very Shekinah glory of God, walking robed in filthy old flesh, corruptible flesh. Now, I did not say it was sinful flesh, but I did say it was corruptible flesh. You say, what do you mean? He got hungry. He got weary. He got tired. His flesh was not impervious to this world and the elements of it. Though he was perfect and sinless, still he grew weary. He was 100% God, but he was 100% man as well. And can you imagine, my friend, very God himself leaving the throne of heaven, leaving a place built for his glory. Do you know what heaven's all about? Heaven's not about mamma and papa. Heaven's not about Aunt Jeannie and Uncle Bud and everybody that's gone on to the Lord. You know what heaven's about? It's all about the Lamb. That's what it's about. That's what they're singing about. That's what they're talking about. That's what they're thinking about. That's what is going on at the centerpiece of life in heaven is the Son of God. And He left heaven on high and came down, lowered Himself. The Bible said, took on Himself the form of a servant. The Bible says it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. In other words, took on himself flesh, manifested him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, I want to give you two reasons. The first reason he did that is because there's no other way to save you. There's no other way to save me. That was the only way that he could save us, was to be made like unto his brethren to put upon himself flesh and walk 33 and a half years in this old wicked world and lay down his life a ransom. Let me give you the second reason. That was the only way, but he also loved you. We talked about it this morning. The servant, the Hebrew servant in Exodus chapter 21 
Why was it that he was willing to be pierced? Because he said, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I love them too much to go out free for nothing. I'll pay their debt. I'll pay their price. He had fulfilled the law. The law was satisfied. But it wasn't enough that the law had to be satisfied. The Lord had to be sacrificed if His family, if His people were going to be saved. And boy, I'm thankful our Lord paid that price. He went down into a place called Gaza, a Gentile land. You know that whenever our Lord came into this world, He came into a Gentile world. He said, what do you mean? Well, I understand that this whole earth, not just that little strip of land over there called Israel, but this whole earth belongs to the Jew. Do you know that? The whole earth. One of these days, the whole earth is going to belong to the Jews. But when our Lord came into this world, it was a Gentile world power that built the roads, that taxed the people, that ran the show. It was the Roman Empire. He came into a Gentile world. Samson went into a Gentile city. What does that word Gaza mean? That word Gaza means stronghold. Uh, The Bible, I know we like to have the idea sometimes uh, that the devil is sitting down on a throne in hell. That's what we like to think. That's what the the movies and everything and the funny papers say to us. But the Bible tells us that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. This is Satan's stronghold. Unless you not believe that, look around and ask yourself, who is it that's causing all the messes around us? I don't believe it's God. I believe the devil is running this show right now in this world. Uh, The Lord still sitteth in the heavens, and there's no question that God is still in control, but God's not controlling things. You know, you can be in control without controlling. God is still in control of things, but He's not controlling the things on this earth. The God of this world is. This is the devil's stronghold. And our Lord came and went into a wicked and hate-filled world. He entered the stronghold. We see the condescension of the Savior. You say, why would He do that? He had to go pretty low to get to you and to get to me. I like that song. When He reached down His hand for me, He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or His Son, but He reached down His hand for me. He had to reach way down for me. I don't know if He had to reach that far down for you, but I kind of believe He did. We see the condescension of the Savior. I want you to notice the second thing. We see the contradiction of the sinners. Look at verse number 2. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. There's an interesting phrase that's used there. Look with me again at the end of the verse. They were quiet all night, saying... Any of you that have children know what that is. You ever been on a camping trip with your little one, or maybe it was whenever they were young, they might have slept in the same bed that you did... And come nighttime, they, you know, they knew how to talk by then. And come nighttime, they were quiet while saying. You know what I mean? They laid there and you'd try to go to sleep and they'd say, Mom, <laughs> kicking you. Mom, Dad. They were quiet while saying. That word quiet is not denoting a silence, but it's denoting a deceptiveness. It's saying, in other words, they compassed about. They went around the city and you know what they did? They sat and they whispered. And they concocted a plan. You know that our Lord and Savior, as He walked through this earth, there was always the eyes of wicked men on Him waiting to take Him. 
Read through the Gospels, friend. You'll see it all the time. The Bible says time and time again they sought occasion to take him. He was surrounded by men that wanted to see him killed. A great crime he had committed, opening the eyes of the blind, raising up the lame to walk, opening the ears of the deaf, and loosening the tongue of the dumb, raising the dead to walk again. It was an awful crime he had committed, but still there was contradiction against him. Why do you think there was contradiction against him? John 1.10 tells us uh, that uh, the Word uh, was, uh, came into this world. The Bible says uh, that he created the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You know, the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. When Christ came into this world, he wasn't received and crowned in glory. He was rejected and spit upon and scoffed at. You say, oh, but what about the year of acceptation or the year of exaltation? That year when everything was going great in his ministry. Yeah, I know. You study through the Bible. You find a a beginning period in his ministry and you find a popular year in his ministry. But the closer you get to the cross, the scarcer the crowd gets. You know that's true in your Christian walk as well. You know, the closer you get to God, the scarcer the group around you will be. Uh, You say, why is that? Because this world still hates Jesus Christ. Still hates Jesus Christ. Still can't stand Him. Still want to see Him done away with even though they can't. We see contradiction of sinners. They were laying wait and devising a plan. And so this is the plan they came up with. They went to the gates of the city and commentators say that it would take about 40 grown men to swing these gates. They were so large. I mean, we're not talking about the gate at the end of Grandmama's driveway. We're talking about a massive gate that was enough to block in the wall of a city. And it would take uh, multitudes of men. I didn't say to pick it up. I mean, just to swing it on its hinges. And they said, he won't be ever, ever able to move this gate. And they took and they locked him in. They pulled the gates of the city closed. Notice it says that he took the bar with him. They placed a bar over the door as well. They did everything they could to trap him in death. You know that the Bible says that that was Satan's plan as well with our Lord, was to trap him in death, was to try to uh, kill him and keep him dead. But listen to what the Bible says about it in Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. I, I don't know about you, but as I read the Bible, I find two facts stated in the Word of God. I find that the devil knows more of the Bible than the average church member. The Bible says in the book of James that uh, the devils also believe and tremble. And don't think for one moment that the devil does not know the Word of God. In fact, whenever he came against our Lord and Savior, he came misquoting the Word of God. You know, by the way, there's just as much devilishness done by misquoting the Word of God out of context than there is just about not speaking it at all. And that's what the devil did. But notice this second thing. Because of his pride, it blinds him to the ultimate end of all things. You say, how do you know that? Well, you can tell that by his attempts to try to stop our Lord and Savior. The devil's a pretty smart character. And, you know, I think at Calvary, I think he thought he had him licked. I think he thought, we'll get these gates pushed shut on death. He'll never be able to get out. I've finally done away with him. I finally killed him. He's done with. He can't get out. He can't make a difference anymore. We finally got him locked in. We see the contradiction of 
sinners, but I want you to see the conquering of the Savior. Uh, the Bible says it was about midnight. Midnight's an interesting time in the Word of God. A lot of interesting things happen at midnight. Midnight is the ending of one day and the beginning of another. And uh, I'm thankful at Calvary there was the ending of one dispensation and the beginning of another. The ending of one day, the ending of the age of law, but the beginning of the age of grace. And at midnight, Samson lay down. Look at verse number 3. It says, And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight. Boy, aren't you thankful he got up? (laughs) Oh, my, what would it have meant if Samson never got up? What would it have meant if he had laid down and just laid there and had never got What would it have meant for you and I if our Lord had laid down and just never got up? What would it have meant if there, barred inside death, he had laid down his body and never got up? The Bible says that if Christ be not risen, then his, uh, then your faith is vain. Ye are dead in your sins. Let me tell you something, friend. No one can reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and be a born-again Christian. It is vital to being saved that you believe that Christ not only paid the debt of your sin, but arose of victor and brought new life to you and to me. That's vital to a person's salvation. You say, you mean a little child understands that? No, I didn't say a little child understands that. In fact, I found that a 25-year-old preacher still don't understand it. And probably if I talked to a lot of 60, 70, 80-year-old preachers, they'd say, preacher, I don't understand that. There's a lot of things I don't understand about it. And a little one, they may not comprehend all of everything about it, but you know that little ones, they don't reject it. They just take it by faith. Hey, just believe it. I like this. He, he laid down and he arose at midnight. And what did he do? Look what it says in verse 3. And took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them bar and all, put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Well, I love that passage. Uh, you know, we have an idea sometimes of Samson as being a big old brawny fellow. I mean, just... Big, strapping, muscular, a lot like me. And that's what we think of when we think of Samson, you know. But we find as we study the Word of God that that wasn't what Samson was like. In fact, he looked like any common man. You say, why is that? Because his strength did not come from physical conditioning. But his strength came from the Spirit of the Lord. That's where his strength came from. He, he was a very unassuming person. I, I kind of like to believe, I, I can't give you chapter and verse on this, you know, uh, but I kind of like to believe he wasn't just not really big. He was probably a little scrawny too, if I had to imagine. He was probably a little square. They'd look at Samson and they'd think, well, that ain't nobody. That ain't nobody. And you see that time and time again through the life of Samson. They say, well, we'll just pounce on him. Just take care of him. You know that our Lord, the Bible said, He hath no form nor comeliness. There is no uh, beauty that we should desire Him when we look upon Him. He shall grow up as a root out of a dry ground, as a tender plant. The Bible says that our Lord looked very unassuming. I don't believe our Lord was ugly, but I don't believe that our Lord uh, had any particular beauty about Him. I think He looked like a common person when you would have seen Him. Samson's strength, though, didn't lie in his physical conditioning, but in the Spirit of the Lord. And he gets up at midnight... And he walks to those gates and he looks and he says, Huh, I thought them was open last time I was here. Let me just take care of that. The Bible says that he grabs a hold of them. He does not open them. You know what the difference is? Open gates can be closed again. He didn't open them. He grabbed hold of them and he just tore them off the hinges, bar and all. Put them on his back. Went walking out of the city. You see, he made a way 
where there was no way that was made. The idea is that the gates could not hold him. The Bible says about the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Do you know that the gates of hell could not prevail against our Lord either? Death could not hold him. Whenever it came time to get up, he just tore the gates off of the wall and got up. Carried them with him. But there's another thought that's here that I believe is important. He took them away. And you know, I kind of wonder sometimes. If you, you'll find that reading the Bible is a lot more fun if you'll use your imagination a little bit. I don't mean be unscriptural, but I mean try to get inside and think like biblical people think and try to imagine. You know, I kind of think sometimes they probably shut those gates every night to prevent against people getting into the city. And I kind of wonder, you know, if maybe there was somebody that was there in Gaza that wanted to get out. He wouldn't go by day for fear that people would see him. Wouldn't go by day for fear that people would stop him. But here this fellow sat year after years, and really he wanted to leave Gaza, but he knew he couldn't push him gates open himself. And he could get to them gates. He could get there, and he could push as hard as he can push. But he just can't open them gates for himself. And I can imagine one night he's sitting in his home, and a fellow comes by, and they're sitting around talking, and the fellow that wants to leave says, you know, I'd just give anything to get out of this place. I'm not happy in Gaza. Uh, nobody that I love is in Gaza. I know that if I stay in Gaza, I'm going to die. I've got to get out, but I just can't. And that fellow looks at him and says, well, don't you know, Samson done tore the gates off the wall. The gates aren't there anymore. You can go. You can leave. All you have to do is believe what I'm telling you. Leave your home and go to the gates and you can leave. Nothing can hold you here anymore. There he had sat for all them years just waiting for somebody to come by and tell him that the gates were gone. I wonder if some of you have some family members that are in Gaza tonight. They're sick of their sin. They're sick of living in sin. They know it's not getting them anywhere. They know they're miserable. They just don't think that they can open the gates. They think there's no way out. They think they can't make it. And they just need somebody to come along and tell them the gates are gone. You're not held here except by your own will. You can go. You can leave. You can make a way out. There's been a way made for you. All you have to do is trust what I'm telling you and go to the gates. All they need is someone to tell them this beautiful truth. But sad to say, there's a lot of people that go to their death in Gaza because no one ever comes by to tell them the gates are gone. I wonder if maybe you have co-workers that you can tell. You know, we spend more time. If you work a secular job, you spend more time with your co-workers probably than you do with your family. I mean, you may spend more time as far as at night and asleep and, and everything, but I mean, time where you're talking and and what we might call quality time. Boy, that's pitiful, isn't it? But quality time. You spend a lot of time with your coworkers, and you can tell they're unhappy. You can tell they're miserable. Their marriage is falling apart. Their kids are going to pot. Their life is empty. You can tell they want to leave Gaza. They just don't know that somebody's tore the gates open. They don't know that somebody's made a way. Maybe you have children that are searching and searching and searching for some kind of meaning. Something that makes sense out of life. They just need to be told that the gates have been torn down. He took them and he placed them in Hebron. I don't have time to go through everything that has to do with Hebron. Hebron used to be called Kerjath Arba, and it was the place where Sarah 
was buried whenever she died. In Hebron, uh, it, it actually means an association or a society. And the Bible describes it as a beautiful place. There's much we could say about it. You know what Samson did? He took them gates out and he put them up on a hill next to Hebron where the people of Hebron could look out and see that Samson had conquered. You know, there's another place that the Bible says is beautiful where those that have died in Christ go, where only an associated group of people, only a certain group can go there. Not anybody gets to go there. Sounds a lot like heaven, don't it? When Christ had paid the debt, torn the gates off, heaven rejoiced. And they could see, and the Father was pleased with what had been accomplished. I want to promise you tonight, maybe you're one, and you've been saved, but there's something in your life that you're struggling with something that you know you don't need to do, something you're struggling with in your life and you want to get rid of it, but the devil tells you that the gates are still up and you can't do it. Can I tell you that the conqueror's already been through? He's already made a way. He's paid the price with his help. Whatever it is, you can have the victory over it. If you'll just give it over to Christ. But God's there. He's made a way. I wonder tonight if maybe there's someone here still in Gaza needs to be saved. I want to tell you God loves you and He'll save you tonight. And if you're, if you're here and if you're lost and if you walk out those double doors and you're still a lost man, it's your own choosing. God is willing to save you tonight. If you'll only call on His name, repent of your sins and put your faith in, He'll save you tonight. The gates are gone. All you have to do is meet Him. That's it. Maybe you've got a loved one that's still in Gaza. They need help getting out. You know, you can be the one to sidle up beside them and say the gates are gone. There's a way made. You can be saved. God will save you and change your life and make you anew. God will give you purpose and hope and happiness. That's what God's in the business of doing, you know. Maybe there's something you're struggling with that you need to give over to the Lord. Tonight would be a perfect night to give it over to Him. He'll help you with it. Listen, God does not expect holiness from us and then not assist us in being holy. That doesn't make any sense. God is going to equip you to do what needs to be done. Tonight you can give it over to the Lord. He'll help you with it. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, as a musician slips to the piano, Heavenly Father, bless this invitation, not because of what I've done or what I've said, but because of Your Word and Your people. Lord, we love You. We thank You for it. In Christ's name, amen.